seminar said, you know, the key to leadership. I was like, ah, oh, okay, that's, I'll, go, I'll, I'll go to that one. I thought, oh, okay. I don't know what, quite what I was expecting, whether that was, you know, major strategic tips or things on governance or inspirational speaking. I don't know quite what it was, but very simply, there was a man called T.J. Mahaney who, um, who just preached a very simple sermon um, about Jesus being anointed by Mary with perfume. Um, and just preached about the heart of leadership being nothing more than an extravagant devotion to Jesus. Um, and that talk has stuck with me more than pretty much any leadership tip or training that I've had ever since. Um, and the heart of our Christian life and whatever we do in whatever our walk is just an extravagant devotion to Jesus. Um, that wasn't particularly what I'm preaching on tonight, but I just, uh, that's the sense that I've had, that that's what we've been bringing in our worship tonight, that we've just been laying everything down before him. I love that song, You Are Worthy of It All. That, that I think there's, uh, it's very simple in many ways, but yet that is the most wonderful truth that we bring in our worship. And I just want to continue tonight in that sense, that we are just devoted to him, that we have come for nothing more to offer our entire lives and to lift up his name. So um, hold out your hands or do however you want to engage with him. But let's, let's just decide together tonight. Lord Jesus, we are devoted to you. We love you. We want to lift your name high. You are worthy of all praise and all honor. We live to make your name known, to see you glorified on the earth and for all eternity. And we thank you that we have the privilege of bringing what we have as worship to you. We offer everything we have just in devotion to you, saying we love you, Lord. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of absolutely everything that we have. We just ask tonight that you will just continue to meet with us, that you will bless us, and that we will just go out more and more in love with you. Amen. All right, that's a good start. So that was someone else's sermon that I've summarized for you. I'll go to mine now. Um, turn to Luke 16. If you've got that, put a finger in there. We have the ah, good. Got the prediction up. And I'll introduce what I'm talking about tonight. Dennis isn't here tonight, is he? But you guys thanked him this this morning. Uh, I want to uh, start off with with a thanks to to Dennis, but also with a man who who uh, illustrates. Um, it's just a handy way of uh, introducing my topic tonight. Uh, for those of you that don't know Dennis, you've missed out. Dennis is amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, give me a wave if you do know Dennis. There we go. That's the response that we should be getting. The rest of you, uh, meet Dennis. Anyway, Dennis has been uh, instrumental in managing our church finances for many years um, and is an amazingly faithful and faith-filled man. He is incredibly diligent, he is utterly trustworthy, and he has not only done an outstanding job in terms of managing the church finances wisely, he has also done that with amazing faith, has allowed us to take steps forward, including you know, finance for this building that you're sitting in today. And just want to honour him and what he's done. And just being able to celebrate that he is, uh, he's retiring now and retiring uh, with an amazing track record, with an amazing blessing that he's been brought to this church. And uh, whilst he, uh, not saying that he's reaching the, uh, the ultimate retirement where we all hear, well done, good and faithful servant, um, but... Being able just to recognize the work that he's done and being able to say on behalf of the church, well done, good and faithful servant, and you're just an amazingly wonderful man. And so we thank him, but I want you to consider what it might be like if it was a very different scenario. Okay? Imagine this man was in charge of church finances. We'll call him Gordon. Um, uh, sorry, if your name's Gordon, uh, that, that's not against you. I, um, 
I'll be honest, about five years ago I picked one name to use in all my illustrations and that name was Gordon and that's just what I've rolled with ever since. So um, we'll call him Gordon. Imagine Gordon was the church finance officer. And imagine that over the last ten years Gordon had got himself into some personal financial difficulty and had spotted ways to alleviate said financial difficulty through his work as church finance officer by siphoning off some of the funds. It's very simple to do, one would imagine. Uh, actually, you've got some, don't, in case you're worried, we do have some checks and measures in place. Um, uh, uh, not that simple. Uh, but, you know, when the tithe comes in each week, 9% to the church and 1% to Gordon. And he's done that over a few years. And as he's coming up to his retirement, we discover this, that the accountants come in and say there's, there's some financial irregularities. And they point out that Gordon has siphoned off money for many, many years from the church. That would be a very different story, wouldn't it? I want you then to imagine that I stand Gordon up on stage as an example to you and say and commend his wisdom in the way that he has managed to be slightly devious in using worldly wealth. Would that seem confusing to you? Okay. Well, let's go on to Jesus confusing us. Luke 16. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Somewhat different uh, to a lot of Jesus' other par uh, parables, where either there's one person who acts in a way that is commendable and is held up as an example, or there are two people um, uh, with a contrasting wrong and right approach. For example, uh, the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock. There's typically a good guy in the parable that's held up as an example. And in this one, we, we don't have either, really. We've, we've got um, a manager who, by all accounts, was not particularly honest and good at his job in the first place, and then, in the process of being sacked, managed to steal some money, and then... His boss, the landowner, who comes and then commends him for his dishonest actions. And so the, the initial approach to this is somewhat, often to find this somewhat confusing. But there's principles that we draw from it. Um, and Jesus is able to teach from this example uh, without necessarily saying you have to follow the behavior of these people. But is able to draw out some examples from it. Okay, and he's structured, the passage is structured relatively simply. I've set it out. So you've got the parable in verse 1 to 8, and then you've got the application in verses 9 to 13, because Jesus is a good preacher, and he's made it easy for me to follow on and preach from his passage as well. And the application, the three points I'll draw out from that, is around using worldly wealth 
generously and well. The fact that if you're trustworthy with a little, you'll be trustworthy with a lot. And also that you can't serve God and money. Let's get the elephant out in the room out of the way first. Preachers talking about money. Um, so have a look at the Venn diagram, which neatly lays out DJs, bank robbers, and preachers. And you'll notice that the the well the linking thing, the linking factor in all of those three groups is put your hands up. Um, but the overlap between preachers and bank robbers is that both of them will say, put your hands up, but also give me your money. All right. And uh, often when we hear a preacher starting to speak about money, our initial reaction is almost to look at them in the same manner as a bank robber, <laughs> in that purely they are after our money. And that's not the case. That's not what I'm after tonight. Um, I just want to get that over and out of the way. I didn't come up with the Venn diagram, by the way. Um, found that on the internet. So, not another money sermon. Oh. You've come to the evening meeting. Oh, it should be encounter. It should be wonderful. And some idiot's going to stand up and talk to you about money. That's not what you want on a Sunday night. Car. Come to the morning service for that. <laughs> you can't serve God and money. It's true. Hey, you can only have one master. And as I talked earlier, we are coming with our heart complete devotion to Jesus. But you can't serve God and money has often been misinterpreted over the years or taught wrongly or taught negatively, has often been taught as uh, you can't serve God and have money, um, which is ridiculous uh, and unhelpful, but puts a lot of people off this subject and puts a lot of people off the church. Okay? The Bible is full of examples of people that served God and had money. In the Old Testament, the man who was described as being the man after God's own heart was David. Thank you for those of you that have uh, have attended Sunday school. Um, Okay. (laughs) Thank you. What was David? What would we go with David's full title? King King David. He was a king. He had money. All right. (laughs) He had a lot of wealth. And he was described as the man after God's own heart. Okay. It didn't stop him from being a wholehearted follower of God. And it didn't mean that he had to be poor and destitute to do it. Obviously, there are other examples. Solomon had even more wealth by all accounts. Possibly let that influence some of his thinking. Didn't end so well for him. Okay. Money is one of the key ways we are tested, whether it's not having enough money or having uh, an abundance of money. It really does test your heart, and it's why Jesus taught about it so often. And we do believe um, in honoring God with our money, in putting him first in this. Tithing is the first step in that. Um, By making that commitment, that's a very powerful statement of your priorities in life and of putting God first and saying, actually, I'm not going to be ruled by money because that that is the temptation. That's the difficulty. It's not that you can't have money. It's whether that's Lord over your heart or whether Jesus is Lord over your heart. Tithing is a good start. It's not the be all and end all. Because then the temptation is to say, oh, I'll give them a 10%, that's done, I now don't need to think about the rest, and the other 90% I don't need to honour God with. It's all God's anyway. He's lent it to you. Use it wisely. Okay. But tithing, as I say, it's a good start. And we'd encourage you to take that step of faith with your finances. And Jesus openly says that we are to use worldly wealth. This is one of the examples Um, that he is making. This is one of the principles that he's drawing out of this passage in his application. And very much, we need to use money for people, not use people for their money. That's one one of the key differences, I believe, in a kingdom mindset uh, versus if you've got money as the Lord of your life. The other way of phrasing that is love people and use money rather than use people and love money. It's not just about money, okay? You'll be glad to know. 
We all have different resources. We have our talents. We have spiritual gifts. We are responsible for using everything that we have been given for the glory of God and for the benefit of humanity. Bring what you have, what God has given you. Your whole life is an offering of worship. That's part of what we've been doing in our worship through the music and our singing this evening. And I delight in those times. But I also know that it doesn't just stop there, that we can honour God with absolutely every talent, with all our energy. It says it. Love Lord your God with all your mind, soul, strength, heart. Everything we have, we are just to pour out in complete devotion to Jesus. So, let's go on. I'll take it through verse by verse. Um, So, verse 8 says, The manager was commended for his behavior. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And as I said earlier, this is not Jesus commending dishonest behavior or fraud, but in actual fact, an endorsement of making the most of every opportunity. And the manager was commended for his prudent handling of his worldly interests. But he wasn't short term in his thinking, but in actual fact, he was looking towards the future. And in actual fact, he was looking to use his wealth to make friends, influence people, to bless others, and as such be blessed himself. But I think if you want a further example where I've taken this, the steward knew his time was limited. All right? He knew he was getting fired. And so he realized that with the short time that he had, he needed to put the resources at his disposal to their utmost benefit. We have a finite time on this planet. Okay. Ultimately, there is a limited time scale in which we can use our worldly resources and our talents and our energy for the benefit of the future. And in actual fact, what we do in this life is rewarded in eternity. I love that quote from Gladiator um, when he's Talking, he's rallying his men at the start of, an, uh, start of the battle. Shouts to them, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. I think it's more than that. What we do in this life defines our eternity. Okay? Eternity is not just an echo or a shadow of our current life. You get to invest in this life and build up amazing treasures in eternity. I think that's one of the things that the manager was commended for. That's the attitude of thinking... Right, it's not just about the here and now. Thinking, how can I use this so that I'm benefiting in the future? Use worldly wealth. Verse 9, I was reading it out again. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This sounds an odd concept, doesn't it? Can we just bribe our way in? Can you buy your way into heaven? Can you buy God's favor? Well, no, is the answer. Everything that we have, we have by grace. You cannot earn God's favor. That is given to you. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot earn righteousness. That is given freely as a gift because Jesus Christ earned that and earned that for you. And it it is an odd concept of saying, use this worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves on this life so that you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. How does that work? So as I put here, the rich and famous don't get a say in the allocation of the housing of eternity. That's, that's not within their grasp. Even if I make friends with Bill Gates or... Who's the chap who owns Amazon? Uh, Bezos. Even if I make friends with them... I use my wealth to, to worm my way in and, and, and all the resources. When they die, they don't get any say with their wealth as to what happens in heaven and eternity. God is the one who rewards our actions. But in actual fact, God is the one who looks on how we use our wealth and our resources, whether we are using those to bless others, 
whether we are using those to gain friends, to be a blessing in our community, and God looks at that and rewards that. A quote from this on, uh, from Calvin, uh, the theologian, not the comic book character, um, although I am a fan of both and would encourage you to read both widely. Um, so, Calvin says, By acts of charity we obtain favour with God, who has promised that to the merciful he will show himself merciful. For whatever any man may have generously bestowed on his neighbours, the Lord acknowledges as if it had been done to himself. When we use our worldly resources to bless people or to make friends or to invest in relationships, not only does that enrich our earthly relationships, mainly, I would say, through the principle of being generous. I think that's the, the, the principle I'd like to draw out from here. But also, our generosity is looked on by God and is rewarded by him. Let's go on to verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I'd like to say I believe this is one of the great principles of kingdom living um, and of your effectiveness in the kingdom and how God uses you and your influence in life and your fruitfulness in the kingdom. Do the little things well because God is looking for those that he can trust with more. God is not afraid to start small and do it well. And to grow things naturally. Sometimes he, he does bring seasons of, of rather sudden uh, supernatural growth or, or, or of amazing breakthrough where we, not, where we feel we haven't necessarily sowed into that area and he just comes and he brings a breakthrough and we run into what he has done for us. And we need to know when those times are. But an actual fact, most of the time, he grows us gradually. Making sure, an actual fact, that we have the time to grow in our character to be able to handle any growths in our gifting or our influence. Okay. The kingdom of God is described like a mustard seed for a reason. It starts small and then grows. This is just the way that God works. All right. And we see this throughout the Bible. Okay. Right from the get-go, he, he could have put million. You know, he wanted the earth to be filled with humanity, knowing him, worshiping him, enjoying his goodness, and in relationship with him. He could have put millions of people right from the start, right from the get-go. That is within his power. This is the God who called the universe into being with a word. All right, he wasn't limited. He didn't just have just enough clay for Adam. All right, <laughs> okay. But he chose to start with two people, with one couple, and trusting them to be fruitful and multiply. He chose to start small, an actual fact to let that grow naturally. Fast forward, he goes, you know, he could have chosen, he wanted a people for his own. He could have chosen the mightiest nation at the time. He could have chosen a civilization that was already well established. He chose Abraham and Sarah, again, two people, and said, I'll make you a mighty nation. And it didn't happen instantly. They had two children, you know. One son was the son of the promise that God had brought. Okay? They had to start small and that family grew. And it grew organically and it grew over time. But that's just the way that God chooses to operate. Often is to start small, not just to come in and, uh, and bring the final answer instantly himself because he wants humanity to be involved in this great adventure and he wants us to choose to be responsible and to grow this naturally. And, and that's the way, I believe, in which you look at the way that other characters in the Bible are rewarded. Because the things that we do that are unseen or that seem small at the time, those are the things that God looks on and delights and breathes on. So we talked about King David. Hey, 
started small. He started tending his father's flocks, his sheep. He started being a shepherd. Just out in the hills, he did in the quiet what prepared him to then be a ruler. His first victories were feeding off lions and bears defending the sheep when that equipped him to fight Goliath and to win greater victories. Okay. And there's examples that we need to draw from that. So he, he started with being faithful, actually serving someone else's interests, his father's. Okay. With the job that he was given, with what was put in front of him, with what he was given responsibility for, he chose to be faithful. With our everyday jobs, are we happy to be faithful in those? Most of us uh, are, you know, if you run your own business, maybe it's slightly different, but most of us are employed or work in some form of uh, setting where actually our work has a day-to-day impact as to whether we bless that company, our employer, and that workplace. Will you start small? Will you bless the place where you are? Will you be faithful in the environment that God has put you in and trust that God is smiling on that? Okay. Go back three generations from David. You've got Ruth faithfully serving her mother-in-law, working in a field before going on to start the family line of David and ultimately Jesus, doing manual work, not considering that beneath her. Faithful service to family and to God, and as a result of that, becoming part of the most important family on the planet. Are you willing to work hard, actually, to do the seemingly simple things well? Are you willing to be faithful with those little things? Or do you consider certain tasks beneath you? Go on. There's Joseph being a faithful servant to Potiphar, ran one household well, which set him up to run a nation. There's a lot in that. Run your household well. All right. Your family and your friends are your greatest immediate calling. Do that well. Be faithful in that environment. Do you set an example within your household, amongst your friendship group, to your family, to your children, knowing that most people will never see that, but that God values that hugely? Do the little things well. Be faithful with the little. God smiles on that. God allows that to grow there. Obviously, fast forward on to Jesus, our greatest example. He started small, literally, like, you know, yay big. All right? <laughs> okay, he could, he could have come to earth, you know, fully grown, fully educated, fully trained, and just started his ministry. He chose to come as a baby, grow up in an everyday Israelite family, work as a carpenter, doing that faithfully because actual fact we valued the journey that's what one i would say value the journey don't just look at where you would like to be and hope it will happen look at where you are now and how you can be faithful and trustworthy in that environment okay and don't compare yourself with others that would just rob you of this joy okay you, you, you can always find someone else who's got a greater gifting you know a more influential church a bigger house a better paying job you can always find someone that's got that okay and if your focus is on those around you or of looking at what does everyone else have then it will rob you of this privilege and this joy of journeying with Jesus and of being faithful in the little things and of knowing his pleasure in you and of God growing you in his own time and your own time okay do it well expect to go onwards expect to grow in i would say just in all aspects of life so in your you know, everyday jobs. You know, when you're serving in the church, okay, very easy to come and go. All right, well, the the only person that God's interested in is the guy with the mic, okay. As the guy with the mic, I know that's not true, all right, and I know that actual fact don't hold myself up here any superior to anyone else that is serving in any aspect of this church because God is smiling on all of that, all right. And we encourage, you know, if we serve in different ways. So, you know, I'm speaking here tonight. This morning I was helping out the, the youth team 
serving Becky Arden, who is leading the session, set, I set out the chairs. I gave out the sweets. It's a good time, all right? <laughs> These are things I hold as privilege. To God, they are the same, all right? Because I am doing both faithfully. Because I'm doing both with faith as well. That's really important, okay? You don't do one job that you consider, oh, this just has to be done. You do one job and you think, how can I bring the kingdom and the presence of God into this situation, all right? You do it all with faith, all with the expectation that God is smiling on that and that you bring the kingdom of God wherever you go and in whichever situation, okay? I'd like to bring in just a, a linked principle, I think, at this point. So we've touched on, if you're trustworthy with the little, then God will trust you with more. Okay? Linked verse, Luke 12, verse 48, says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, the the passage itself, actually probably more in the context of of judgment, and I'm not going to go into that particularly, but I think the principle extends as well to how we use our giftings, our resources, our time, and what God has given us. And that, actual fact, if we realise, if God has gifted me particularly in uh, in a particular area, I am responsible for that gift. It says in Timothy, do not neglect the gift that was given to you. All right. It wasn't given so that you can just leave it on the shelf. Any gift, any talent, any resource that was given to you was given so that you can bring the kingdom of God and bless humanity and build up the church and bring the kingdom and see people saved. Um, and we need to recognize, in actual fact, we've been looking for the area, where actually have I been given much? Where is much expected of me? And also trust, yeah, if God has given you some, a lot there, you need to be responsible with that. Recognize as well, there's some areas of your life where you might feel, actually, I'm not so gifted in that, but I'm still going to serve God faithfully because it's about serving God with whatever you have. So, I mean, illustrate that. If much is given, much is expected. Um, if I bring a cooking illustration, um, uh, I, like to, I like to cook. That's a you know, kind of a hobby. wouldn't say I'm a Michelin star, but I make a reasonable pulled pork. If that puts that in, in, in context for you. But the thing, I, I like to read the cooking section of the Times magazine. Um, uh, the Times magazine, that's the newspaper that I read. Other newspapers are available. Um, and the Times magazine uh, is probably designed to just make you dissatisfied with all aspects of your life so that you will send, um, then either try and either achieve more or probably more likely spend more money. Um, that seems to be the attitude of the magazine. Um, and so it, it tries to make you... Uh, kind of aspirational towards either doing more or grander things and it does this in its cooking section and that's what I flip through and go oh what could I be cooking next and you see these great uh, pages that say uh, come up with a we'll show you a brilliant recipe using only three simple ingredients I'm like I could do that I could do three ingredients and I turn and you open the page and it turns out that the three simple ingredients are like fillet steak truffles and asparagus so I'm thinking well You'd have to be a moron not to come up with an amazing meal if those are your three simple ingredients. Like, I'm not impressed with that. All right, that's not impressive cooking. If you've been given fillet steak and everything else, I expect you to come up with a really good meal. Okay, that would be a travesty if you didn't. If much is given to you, much is expected. If you're given steak, you best darn well come up with a good meal. I like steak, by the way. All right, I'm passionate about that. Okay, so I'm thinking, this is, it's not that, not that impressive. I want to see the student cooking version of this with three simple ingredients. If you can come up with an amazing meal with half a tin of beans, some stale Doritos and a pepperami, then I will be impressed. <laughs> if you're given much, much is expected. If you're given, you know, you've got the half tin of beans... Maybe less. Maybe less is expected. Okay? And in different areas of our life, you, you might feel that some areas that you, you, you've got the fillet steak, that you've got you know, an amazing or a significant gift. You're called to be responsible with that. 
But also, there's some areas of your life where you might feel you've got the half tin of beans. You're still responsible with that as well, because that, you know, you're responsible for the little as well as being trusted with the much. I'll give you an example. Um, if I pick one of my talents, the one that I've picked, uh, if we go with, say, my singing voice, okay, I think most of us, or at least anyone that would know me or has ever heard me sing, would, would, would say that this is definitely towards the half tin of beans spectrum, isn't it? Um, that uh, this is definitely not the fill at stake level of gifting. Um, and in actual fact, there's some of you sitting here that know, think probably half tin of beans is probably an overestimation of my singing voice. Maybe like four or five beans at most. Um, and so it is unlikely that I am going to be uh, standing behind one of these mics and leading many people in rapturous worship with that particular gift. But I'm still responsible for using it. And in actual fact, I choose to come. First off, I bring my own worship to God, and I know that he delights in that. Also, I, am I do lead people in worship. I have two children... And I teach them, I sing worship songs with them pretty much every evening. I'll teach them Father Abraham and Hurrah for Jesus and jumping up and down. And in actual fact, I am training people in worship with the gifts that I have. I'm being responsible with that. All right. I'm just bringing, this is my half tin of beans. Let's see what we can do with that. Maybe God will trust me with the full tin of beans next time. Okay. Other aspects of my life where I feel actually God has given me more and I feel actually I need to take greater responsibility. So, you know, teaching, gifting, or in terms of academic study, I feel fortunate that God has gifted me in that area. I'm responsible for that. If I were to use my, my brain and my academic ability solely for secular study or to memorize every member of the Marvel, member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I have done, by the way. Um, but, uh, but if I were to do just that and not to use it in terms of studying and application of God's word and of being able to bring that to other people, that would be a travesty. That would not be me making the most use of my gift. Okay? But bear in mind... All of us have been given a royal identity, a knowledge of God. All of us have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. So I would argue that all of you have been given much. Okay? And as such, great things are expected from all of us. We are called to expect the miraculous. Okay? There is no one that is allowed to sit on the sidelines and say, no, I'm not gifted in that. Right? You have the Holy Spirit inside you. Okay? You are called to grow in faith. You are called to grow in expectation. The deposit that has been placed in you, you have been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given God himself living inside you. You have been given the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to come and walk and work miracles and proclaim the good news of Jesus. All of us are responsible for that. And this mustn't be taken as a burden. Okay? If you start to do this in a negative way, and say, so, oh, gosh, okay, that starts to feel like a pressure... And we mustn't get into works-based salvation. That's the the flip side of this, which we mustn't stray on to. God's love is given freely. You can do, once you've received that, you can do nothing and he still loves you. But you'll miss out on this amazing adventure. You'll miss out on all that he has for you. You'll miss out on growing in the giftings that he has. And you'll miss out on being that blessing and that influence in society and on the earth. Or to paraphrase it, uh, as a, uh, to quote Spider-Man, one of my other favourite theologians, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. It talks about true riches. See verse 11 and 12. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property... Who will give you property of your own? True riches are in the kingdom. And being faithful with worldly resources brings heaven's blessing. But I I have put worldly in in inverted commas there because one of the points I'd like to make is I really don't want to put a secular, sacred divide in here. In actual fact, this is your life. You have given all of it to Jesus. There is not a worldly part of it and a heavenly part of it. It is all given to him. Your whole life is holy and set apart for him. And that's why if if you're not faithful in your everyday life, you, you, you can't be trusted with heaven's resources. 
because it's all, it should all be the same. Right? You should be doing everything faithfully to God. If you're putting in loads of volunteer time at church and serving faithfully and amazingly here and helping run the place, but you're slacking and you're dishonest in your job, that's not spiritual. That's hypocrisy. Don't be that guy. All right? But look at the flip side. You get to honor God every day. All right? Through the simplest of actions. God doesn't look at your everyday life, everyday job and go, oh, I'm just waiting for, waiting for this guy to get to church so he can actually do something important. Your whole life's an offering of worship. True riches. I've just put in a, a bit here about avoiding what I call the vending machine mentality. Of saying, right, well, I, I, I'm coming and I will give this so that I get this back from God. And, and that's the worry sometimes in that people think, all right, well, this, this feels a bit mercenary. This doesn't feel right. This feels a bit of a, a commercial transaction that, okay, somehow this is like a really good savings scheme where if I, if I give this amount of worldly money, then God gives me riches. Uh, does that feel somewhat tainted? Well, no, because the key is keeping it in relationship of saying, God, this is yours and I trust that you have good things for me because he's our father. Right? He doesn't need your money. Okay. At the end of the day, it's not re- the most important thing isn't about how much money you give to God or to the church. It's actually around the heart behind that. that. That's the defining thing. It's about saying, I'm merely coming and giving this as an offering of worship because I'm, on, I'm in love with the king and I'm choosing to put him first. But also trusting that the rewards that we get are in keeping with that. All right? This isn't some kind of bribery scheme where we get something that we wouldn't otherwise get. Does that make sense? It's not unnatural in that sense because God's rewards are in keeping with our desire for him. God's reward at the end of the day is, is predominantly himself and greater knowledge of him, greater revelation of him and a greater sense of his presence. Um, C.S. Lewis uh, put this quite well in terms of uh, the concept of rewards and whether we should see that as mercenary or not. I'll read out his quote. He said, We must not be travelled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of reward makes Christian life a mercenary affair. There are different kinds of rewards. There is the reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover and he is not mercenary for desiring it. The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. So our rewards are just in keeping with our love for God. God rewards us with more of him. In heaven we'll be blessed with his riches not and it won't feel dirty or tainted it will feel like god is just being generous and god is being loving and that we we haven't earned that through ways in which we wouldn't otherwise done we've just done that by walking in relationship with him by being lovers of jesus and goes on to the last verse it says no one can serve two masters You can't serve God and money, but you can serve God with your money. Uh, And as we've said before, in Christian life, just utter devotion to Jesus. We love the Lord God with all our heart, soul and strength. That's the heart of it. Of bringing whatever we have and saying, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. This is what I have. I choose to honor you with this. I choose to give this to you with my whole life. With all my time, my energy, I utterly love you, and I give it all. And that's just the challenge that I'd like to end with tonight. Will you bring your all to him? Will you pour out your life in complete devotion? Will you give up all else to follow him? Will you direct your everyday time and money towards eternal purposes? Will you be faithful with what he has given you and use it with a kingdom mindset. Because if you do, you'll be trusted with heaven's riches, with authority to bless nations, with resources to change society. And you'll be a blessing to everyone around you.
you are promised life eternal with him, with rewards in heaven. Your life can be an amazing adventure with the eternal Lord of the universe. This is a privilege. Okay? The more we give in to that, all you're saying is, I want a greater adventure. That's what you want. Saying, I want more of you. Jesus, I want to go where you're going. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. I don't want anything to distract. I don't want to hold anything back. That's what it's saying. And that's why we can do this without fear or without worry or without thinking that we are in some way, in any way, missing out. Luke 18, Jesus says, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Whatever we give to him, we get back in abundance and we get back in his love. So, are you using your gifts faithfully? Ask God for greater faith. That's the key. It's not just saying, right, I've got to work hard so that I can earn true riches. It's saying, I'm going to partner in faith, giving what I have, knowing that God's going to multiply this. That God's going to bring that. Um, there was, there were three groups that I, I, I felt that I probably wanted to draw out, which I hope will encompass most people in the room in terms of applying this. Um, really in terms of how we feel we are using our gifts and our talents and our resources. There will be some of you that feel actual fact. You're already getting the chance to use what you feel most gifted in. You've got some fillet steak and you're cooking it well. All right. Ask God just to increase that, to give you greater faith and greater expectation of you being a blessing in that arena. Never settle, all right? We've never got it done, okay? When you're faithful, when it says, if you're faithful with a little, you're then given a lot. Um, something that we've taught before and that Dad has taught before, that lot then becomes the next thing that you need to be faithful with. That becomes the little bit that you're going to then see grow into even bigger, all right? You should be on an exponential adventure. If you're already doing great exploits of faith, you just ask God for more. If you feel that you're running, Passionately, just ask God to show you more, to open up your vision and to take you further. Other group. Might be one or two that are slacking. Okay? Do you have great gifts and resources actually that you're not using at the moment? The actual fact that you have and you know that you've been given either an amazing talent, but you're just, you're not using that in the kingdom. Maybe you're using that in other aspects, but you're not saying, God, I bring this all to you. In which case, very simple, you just need to repent. Not in a heavy way, all right? No guilt, no shame. That, that, that's not what we're talking about with repentance. Just asking God, help me to change my mindset and bring this to you. Right? Say, so, there's nothing that you need to do to earn your way into God's favor. God already loves you, all right? Whatever you're doing. If you're doing nothing at all, God loves you. All right? But he doesn't want you to do nothing at all because he wants you to be part of this great adventure and of his kingdom and of expanding that through. And then last group. I feel that there's some people here tonight that feel that you've been gifted in some way that you've wanted to uh, serve God in or that you have served God in in the past but you are not currently because you've been discouraged in some way. Either you've tried something and it's failed or not gone right, or you've been harshly criticised by other people, or even that you've had some lies thrown your way from the enemy. Lies that try to tell you that this is not significant, that you can't step out, that if you try this again, that this will go wrong again. And some, some people have had those lies thrown at you, and we just want to break those off you tonight. Okay, I want you, anyone that's been feeling discouraged or set back, that you've been feeling that your faith is at a low ebb or that your, your godly self-confidence has taken a knock, God's wanting to restore that tonight. God's wanting to put you back in the game. All right, He's encouraging you, pick up your tools. Come back. He loved you. He made you this way. 
He gave you that gift for a reason. He loves that about you. He treasures that about you. He thinks you're amazing. All right? You are his child. And he wants just to break any discouragement off you. There is a world out there that's longing to see your expression of the kingdom of God. Um, let's pray for that first and then we'll all respond. If that is you, um, if you can, I, I think it'd be good, um, be a bit bold. St- if you've been feeling discouraged in any way, whether that's through fear, if you've been feeling that you haven't been able to bring your gift, either through criticism, uh, discouragement, or lies that have been thrown your way, would you stick up a hand? I just want to, I, 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 Really confident that God's just going to break that off you tonight and that's going to go away. So if that's you, if you're feeling you're discouraged, stick up a hand. Um, and if people around, can you just, if, if you're happy, uh, we're going to just lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you and bless you. So those around, just pray, pray, come pray. Prayers of encouragement. Secret to encouragement. Person who leads us into all truth. That's the Holy Spirit. We're just going to ask him to come and fill you now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are an amazing creator, that you are a father who delights in your children and in the giftings that you have given them, that you long to see them running with you, you long to see them just joyfully being all that you have made them to be. Lord God, any discouragement tonight, we just break that off. Any shame from not having used the giftings, we just break that. That is not on you. Declare that over you tonight. There is no shame. God is delighted in you. He is wanting just to come and encourage you. If you have felt knocked down, he is just coming to pick you up. You will soar with him. Just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will wash over this place tonight. Come fill every single person. Everyone who has felt discouraged, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come. Just pray for an outpouring of faith, for a sense of recommissioning, for a renewed sense of calling. Come, Holy Spirit. Feel that you are called... You are sons and daughters. You are also soldiers in the army of the king. And he is re-enlisting you tonight. He is giving you new tools. He is fixing your armor. He is giving you new faith and a new level of expectation. Come on, Holy Spirit. Thanks, Steph. Let's just let's stand all together now. All right, let's all respond. Um, we are... We are an amazing family, aren't we? We are, we are quite remarkable. We are an army, and God is calling us onwards and to take new ground. And we all have our roles to play in that. And let's just say, let's, let's take a moment now. Let's pray. God, we choose to bring all that you have given us. We thank you. We delight in the gifts that you give and the resources that you impart to us. We choose to lay all of this down before you and just say, we love you, Jesus. We treasure you. This is all for you. Everything we do our whole life is for you. Take us forward. Give us greater faith. Give us that kingdom mindset that says there is no such thing as everyday life. There is heavenly life here on earth that you give us. And just pray for a greater expectation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Cool.